Hi, I'm MC Jessie. 大家好，读你听二点零，今日继续读 Begin to Cervantes 嘅 Don Quixote， 同吉莫德，读到第十四节啦。呢节嘅名叫做 Wherein are inserted the despairing phrases of the dead shepherd together with other incidents not looked for。呢一节就会承接翻上一节，由 Uvivaldo 读出呢个死去咗嘅 Christendom。佢嘅遗书当然系记载住佢对麦瑟拉嘅爱慕啦、轻生嘅念头啦。咁就我哋睇下呢一段文字会几绘形绘色咁样讲述呢个下场悲惨嘅爱情故事啦。跟住我哋交俾 Costa 同大家读嚟听。The Lay of Chrysostom. Since thou dost in thy cruelty desire the ruthless rigor of thy tyranny, from tongue to tongue. From land to land, proclaimed, the very hell will I constrain to let this stricken breast of mine deep notes of woe to serve my need of fitting utterance. And as I strive to body forth the tale of all I suffer, all that thou hast done, forth shall the dread voice roll, the bear long shreds from my vital torn for greater pain. Then listen, not to dulcet harmony, but to a discord wrung by mad despair. Out of this bosom's depths of bitterness, to ease my heart and plant a sting in thine. The lions roar, the fierce wolves' savage howl, the horrid hissing of the scaly snake, the awesome cries of monsters yet unnamed, the crow's ill-boding croak, the hollow moan of wild winds wrestling with the restless sea, the wrathful bellow of the vanished bull, the plaintive sobbing of the widowed dove. The envied owl's sad note, the wail of woe that rises from the dreary choir of hell, commingled in one sound, confusing sense that all these come to aid my soul's complaint, for pain like mine demands new modes of song. No echoes of that discord shall be heard, where far the tigers roars, or on the banks of olive-bordered betis to the rocks, or in deep caverns shall my plaint be told. And by a lifeless tongue in living words, or in dark valleys, or on lonely shores, where neither foot of man nor sunbeam falls, or in among the poison-breathing swamps, or monsters nourished by the sluggish Nile, for though it be two solitudes remote, the hoarse vague echoes of my sorrow sound. Thy matchless cruelty, my dismal fate, shall carry them to all this spacious world. Disdain have power to kill, and patience dies. Slain by suspicion, be it false or true, and deadly is the force of jealousy. Long absence makes of life a dreary void. No hope of happiness can give repose to him that ever fears to be forgot. And death inevitable waits in hall. But I, by some strange miracle, live on, a prey to absence, jealousy, disdain. Wrecked by suspicion as by certainty, forgotten, left to feed my flame alone, and while I suffer thus, there comes no ray of hope to gladden me athwart the gloom. Nor do I look for it in my despair, but rather clinging to a cureless woe. All hope do I abjure for evermore. Can there be hope where fear is, where it well, when far more certain are the grounds of fear? Ought I to shut mine eyes to jealousy? If through a thousand heart wounds it appears, who would not give free access to distrust 
seeing disdain failed and bitter change, all his suspicions turned to certainties, and the fair truth transformed into a lie. O、oh, thou fierce tyrant of the realms of love, O、oh, jealousy, put chains upon these hands and bind me with thy strongest cord, disdain. But woe is me, triumphant over all, my sufferings drown the memory of you, and now I die. And since there is no hope of happiness for me in life or death, still to my fantasy I'll fondly cling. I'll say that he is wise who loveth well, and that the soul must free is that most bound, in thraldom to the ancient tyrant love. I say that she who is mine enemy, in that fair body has fair a mind, and that her coldness is but my desert, and that by virtue of the pain he sends, love rules his kingdom with a gentle sway. Thus self-deluding and in bondage soul, and wearing out the wretched shred of life to which I am reduced by her disdain, I'll give this soul and body to the winds, all hopeless of a crown of bliss in store. Thou whose injustice have supplied the cause that makes me quit the weary life I loathe, as by this wounded bosom thou canst see how willingly thy victim I become, let not my death, if haply worth a tear. Cloud the clear heaven that dwells in thy bright eyes. I would not have thee expiate in aught the crime of having made my heart thy prey, but rather let thy laughter gaily ring and prove my death to be thy festival. Fool that I am to bid thee! Well, I know thy glory gains by my untimely end. And now it is time. From hell's abyss come thirsting Tantalus, come Sisyphus, heaving the cruel stone, come Tityus. With voucher and with wheel, Exion come, and come the sisters of the ceaseless toil, and all into this breast transfer their pains, and chant in their deepest tones a doleful dirge over a cause unworthy of a shroud. Let the three-headed guardian of the gate and all the monstrous progeny of hell the doleful concert join. A lover dead, methinks, can have no fitter obsequies. Lay of despair. Grieve not when thou art gone, for from this sorrow heart my misery brings fortune to the cause that gave thee birth. Then banish sadness even in the tomb. The lay of Chrysostom met with the approbation of listeners, though the reader said it did not seem to give him to agree with what he had heard of Marcella's reserve and propriety, for Chrysostom complained in it of jealousy, suspicion, and absence. All to the prejudice of the good name and fame of Marcella, to which Ambrosio replied as one who knew well his friend's most secret thoughts, Signor, to remove that doubt, I should tell you that when the unhappy man wrote this lay, he was away from Marcella, from whom he had voluntarily separated himself, and try if absence would act with him as it is wont. And as everything distresses and every fear haunts the banished lover, so imaginary jealousies and suspicions, dreaded as if they were true, tormented Chrysostom. And thus the truth of what report declares of the virtue of Marcella remains unshaken, and with her envy itself should not and cannot find any fault save that of being cruel, somewhat haughty, and very scornful. And that is true," said Vivaldo. And as he was about to read another paper of those he had preserved from the fire, he was stopped by a marvelous vision that unexpectedly presented itself to their eyes. For on the summit of the rock where they were digging the grave, there appeared the shepherdess Marcella, 
so beautiful that her beauty exceeded its reputation. Those who had never till then beheld her gaze upon her in wonder and silence, and those who were accustomed to see her were not less amazed than those who had never seen her before. But the instant Ambrosio saw her, he addressed her with manifest indignation: "Art thou come by chance?" True basilisk of these mountains, to see if in thy presence blood will flow from the wounds of this wretched being thy cruelty has robbed of life, or is it to exult over the true work of thy humours that thou art come, or like another pitiless Nero to look down from that height upon the ruin of his Rome in embers, or in thy arrogance to trample on this ill-fated corpse, as the ungrateful daughter trampled on her father's tarquins? Tell us quickly for what thou art come. Or what it is thou wouldst have? For as I know, the thoughts of Chrysostom never fail to obey thee in life. I will make all these who call themselves his friends obey thee, though he be dead. I come not, Ambrosio, for any of the purposes thou hast named," replied Marcella, "but to defend myself and to prove how unreasonable are all those who blame me for their sorrow and for Chrysostom's death. And therefore, I ask all of you that are here to give me your attention. For it will not take much time or many words to bring the truth home to persons of sense. Heaven has made me, so you say, beautiful, and so much so that in spite of yourselves, my beauty leads you to love me. And for the love you show me, you say, and even urge that I am bound to love you. By that natural understanding which God has given me, I know that everything beautiful attracts love. But I cannot see how, by reason of being loved. That which is love for its beauty is bound to love that which loves it. Besides, it may happen that the lover of that which is beautiful may be ugly. The ugliness being detestable, it is very absurd to say, "I love thee because thou art beautiful." Thou must love me though I be ugly. But supposing the beauty equal on both sides, it does not follow that the inclinations must be therefore alike. For it is not every beauty that excites love. Some but pleasing the eye without winning the affection, and if every sort of beauty excited love and won the heart, the will would wander vaguely to and fro, unable to make choice of any. For as there is an infinity of beauty objects, there must be an infinity of inclinations. And true love, I have heard it said, is indefinable and must be voluntary and not compelled. If this be so, I believe it to be. Why do you desire me to bend my will by force? For no other reason, by that you say you love me. Nay, tell me, had heaven made me ugly as it has made me beautiful, could I with justice complain of you for not loving me? Moreover, you must remember that the beauty I possess was not choice of mine. For be it what it may, heaven of its bounty gave it me without my asking or choosing it. And as the viper, though it kills with it, does not deserve to be blamed for the poison it carries, as it is a gift of nature. Neither do I deserve reproach for being beautiful, for beauty in a modest woman is like fire at a distance or a sharp sword. The one does not burn, the other does not cut. Those who do not come too near, honor and virtue are the ornaments of the mind, without which the body, though it be so, has no right to pass for beautiful. But if modesty is one of the virtues that specially lend a grace and charm to mind and body. Why should she who is loved for her beauty part with it to gratify one who, for his pleasure alone, strives with all his might and energy to rob her of it? I was born free, and that I might live in freedom, I chose the solitude of the fields. In the trees of the mountains, I find society. The clear waters of the brooks are my mirrors, 
and to the trees and waters I make known my thoughts and charms. I am a fire far off, a sword laid aside. Those whom I have inspired with love by letting them see me, I have by words undeceived. And if their longings live on hope, and I have given none to Chrysostom or to in any other, it cannot justly be said that the death of any is my doing, for it was rather his own obstinacy that my cruelty that killed him. And if it be made a charge against me that his wishes were honourable, and that therefore I was bound to yield to them, I answer that when on this very spot, where now his grave is made, he declared to me his purity of purpose, I told him that mine was to live in perpetual solitude, and that the earth alone should enjoy the fruits of my retirement and the spoils of my beauty. And if, after this open avowal, he chose to persist against hope and steer against the wind, what wonder is it that he should sink in the depths of his infatuation? If I had encouraged him, I should be false. If I had gratified him, I should have acted against my own better resolution and purpose. He was persistent in spite of warning. He despaired without being hated. Bethink you now, if it be reasonable that his suffering should be laid to my charge. Let him who has been deceived complain. Let him give way to despair whose encouraged hopes have proved vain. Let him flatter himself whom I shall entice. Let him boast whom I shall receive. But let not him call me cruel or homicide to whom I make no promise, upon whom I practice no deception, whom I neither entice nor receive. It has not been so far the will of heaven that I should love by fate, and to expect me to love by choice is idle. Let this general declaration serve for each of my suitors on his own account, and let it be understood from this time forth that if anyone dies for me, it is not of jealousy or misery he dies, for she who loves no one can give no cause for jealousy to any, and candor is not to be confounded with scorn. Let him who calls me wild beast and basilisk leave me alone as something noxious and evil. Let him who calls me ungrateful withhold his service. Who calls me wayward, see not my acquaintance. Who calls me cruel, pursue me not. For this wild beast, this basilisk, this ungrateful, cruel, wayward being has no kind of desire to seek, serve, know, or follow them. If Chrysostom's impatience and violent passion killed him, why should my modest behaviour and circumspection be blamed? If I preserved my purity in the society of the trees, why should he, who would have me preserve it among men, seek to rob me of it? I have, as you know, wealth of my own, and I covert not that of others. My taste is for freedom, and I have no relish for constraint. I neither love nor hate anyone. I do not deceive this one or court that, or trifle with one or play with another. The modest converse of the shepherd girls of these helmets and the care of my goats are my recreations. My desires are bounded by these mountains. And if they ever wander hence, it is to contemplate the beauty of the heavens, steps by which the soul travels to its primeval abode. With these words, and not waiting to hear a reply, she turned and passed into the thickest part of a wood that was hard by, leaving all who were there lost in admiration as much of a good sense as of her beauty. Some, those wounded by the irresistible shafts launched by her bright eyes, made as though they would follow her, heedless of the frank declaration they had heard, seeing which, and deeming this a fitting occasion for the exercise of his chivalry in aid of distressed damsels, Don Quixote, laying his hand on the hilt of his sword, exclaimed in a loud and distinct voice, Let no one, whatever his rank or condition, dare to follow the beautiful Marcella, 
under pain of incurring my fierce indignation. She has shown by clear and satisfactory arguments that little or no fault is to be found with her for the death of Chrysostom, and also how far she is from yielding to the wishes of any of her lovers, for which reason, instead of being followed and persecuted, she should in justice be honoured and esteemed by all the good people of the world, for she shows that she is the only woman in it that holds to such a virtuous resolution. Whether it was because of the threats of Don Quixote or because Ambrosio told them to fulfil their duty to their good friend, none of the shepherds moved or stirred from the spot until, having finished the grave and burned Chrysostom's papers, they laid his body in it, not without many tears from those who stood by. They closed the grave with a heavy stone until a slab was ready which Ambrosio said he meant to have prepared, with an epitaph which was to be to this effect. Beneath the stone before your eyes, the body of a lover lies. In life he was a shepherd swain, in death a victim to disdain. Ungrateful, cruel, coy, and fair, was she that drove him to despair? The love hath made her his ally, for spreading wide his tyranny. They then stewed upon the grave a profusion of flowers and branches, and all expressing their condolence with his friend Ambrosio, took their leave. Vivaldo and his companion did the same, and Don Quixote bade farewell to his hosts and to the travellers, who pressed him to come with them to Seville, as being such a convenient place for finding adventures, for they presented themselves in every street and round every corner oftener than anywhere else. Don Quixote thanked them for their advice and for the disposition they showed to do him a favour, and said that for the present he would not and must not go to Seville until he had cleared all these mountains of highwaymen and robbers, of whom reports said they were full. Seeing his good intention, the travellers were unwilling to press him further, and once more bidding him farewell, they left him and pursued their journey, in the course of which they did not fail to discuss the story of Marcella and Chrysostom, as well as the madness of Don Quixote. He, on his part, resolved to go in quest of the shepherdess Marcella, and make offer to her of all the service he could render her. But things did not fall out with him as he expected, according to what is related in the course of this voracious history, of which the second part ends here. Costa,好的,这就读于那,的一个,我一书的,我一年,一个,比如,就,Tristan的心,这个,你就好,好,好,好,好,好,好,好,好,好,好,好,好,好,好,好,好,好,好,好,好,好,好,好,好,好,好,
咁但系诶，当杰奥提系远拒咗嘅，因为佢认为佢应该留喺山上面去打击啲山贼。吓、啊，呢、这个系佢作为 case 嘅责任。好，我哋睇下呢一节嘅一啲字都几多啊，不过啲好古老嘅字吓、啊，我拣啲常用少少嘅字啦。Progeny，progeny 名词 ，a descendant or the descendants of a person, animal or plant offspring， 后裔啦。文中有提到嘅，就系、是、啲邪恶嘅怪兽嘅后裔啊 ，monstrous progeny from hell 咁样。obsequies，obsequies，o b s e q u i e s， 名词嚟嘅，意思系丧礼仪式啊。funeral rites，obsequies，wayward，wayward， 墨西哥嘅字白入面有提到呢个字嘅，佢话你批评我 wayward， 咩系 wayward 咧？形容词。Difficult to control or predict because of willful or perverse behaviour. 反复无常 ，perverse 就有任性。吓、啊，你话我反复无常嘅话咧，咁你唔好揾我啦，你唔好嚟接触我啦。咁样，我想讲，我喺度读呢篇嘅时候，我一路感受到作者对于一啲咁样嘅女性嘅自白，诶、呃，佢系真系非常之深入咁样去企喺呢啲女性嘅立场去。发言啊，铿锵有力啦，字字珠玑啦，系令人一啲反驳嘅余力都冇。虽然文中系呢、这个 Marcella 讲完之后要另转身走咗，但系实际上就算佢企喺度唔走咧，都冇人会反驳到佢。唔系净系因为佢嘅美貌咁简单啊吓，文中亦都有提到系因为佢说话嘅有力啊，佢说话力度啦，系令人毫无反驳啦，甚至应该系惭愧啦。即系当中呢个 Ambrosio 应该要感到惭愧啊，因为佢对呢个 Marcella 嘅指责系站不住脚。咁喺呢度我就觉得啊，呢、这、一个宣言系真系好超越咗佢嘅时代啦。咁独立自主嘅女性啦，呢啲咁样嘅形容词到今时今日嘅剧本依然都仲系出现紧。即系女性咪女性咯，点解就要独立自主咧？咁背后咩原因咧？但系远远喺呢个年代。喺呢本書嘅年代嚇，十七世紀就已經出現咗呢個宣言，而係如此地咁有邏輯、咁清晰，只能夠話對呢個作者又再一次嘅佩服啦。即係佢唔單止寫一啲好中二病嘅騎士精神寫得好出色，佢連寫喺女性美麗嘅女性立場都係如此地咁超越時代。好，我哋今日读到呢度，我下一次继续同大家读嚟听，拜拜。If you like this video, make sure to comment, like, share, and subscribe. Adios.